This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's well known and proven that connecting with wildlife and nature can improve your overall well-being. So why would you not want to turn it up a notch by getting to see things even closer and clearer with a set of binoculars? It's what I have done and I've not looked back. I can't recommend enough checking out the range of optics that Leica have to offer. A great range of kit with superb optics and they even have payment plans if you don't have the cash up front. I wouldn't shout about a company on the show that I haven't used or been impressed by and it's important to me that companies we are partnered with have the same values as Into the Wild, which is why I'm proud to give them five thumbs up. If you want to check out more of Leica's range then visit their website that can be found in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone, welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife, conservation and nature. I am your host Ryan Dalton. Cheers! I'm going to wink at you. Thanks for clicking play on the pod. Welcome to the show, Nature Nerds. Lovely to have you back with us for another one-hour conversation about the natural world and its biodiversity. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm recording these, you think I've got a, a checklist of words I have to say, like wildlife, biodiversity, natural world. Um, but I don't. I just It's just how my brain works. I had a very busy week last week because I was back after a week off. So obviously you have to fill your week with seven times the amount of work that you'd usually do to make up for the seven days you had off, meaning I'm now ready for another week off. But um, I was privileged to be get an invitation to go to the London Wildlife Trust book launch for their new book, London in the Wild. It's out now. In fact, the, the book link is in the write-up of this episode check it out um because it is a stunning book i love the way it's done it's got 10 contributors to it add in their insights and their expertise and their knowledge to wildlife in london habitats and in many different habitats from meadows to woodlands to estuaries and rivers and and just you know to, to very heavily urban areas as well and also city farms which i loved it kind of it's almost like a guide so you have like areas where you can make notes and it's if you want to visit london and see what london has to have i would say this book is a solid start it, if you want to know the green spaces to go and the wildlife hotspots this is a good book and um, so it's lovely to be at the event to see the launch of the book and hear some of the readings and i've now got it and obviously this means an episode will be coming out at some time in the near future <laughs> so i'm going to be arranging some conversations with some of the contributors so it's lovely um the write-up it's not not the write-up the link for that episode Oh my god, Ryan, think, think. The link for that book <laughs> is in the write-up of this episode. Check it out, grab a copy, um, I highly, highly recommend it. The other thing I absolutely must remind you all is that this Thursday, the 20th of October, we are doing our YouTube live premiere of Beyond the Trigger, the film that we have been working on for a year and a half which we are so excited. We've done two premieres and now this is the first online premiere we are doing. The link to grab tickets, free tickets, um, is in the write-up of the show as well. Just scroll to the bottom and you can see it there. It's a free ticket where you'll get emailed the YouTube link and we'll be going live at 7pm this Thursday evening. Oh God, I'm so nervous, but I'm so excited for you, everyone to have the possibility to watch this film for the first time and listen to these local community voices in Namibia about a very emotional and divisive topic. So I cannot wait to share it with you. Please join us. We've got a live Q&A afterwards. So you, even you can come on and ask some of us some questions. So make sure you grab a ticket for that and come and join us in this very much needed, not debate, but discussion. 
Anyway, on to today's show, the reason why you're all here. Um, I was absolutely pumped to have this conversation. I've been waiting to have this um, episode come out for a very long time. It was, I first heard about this person, I was listening to a podcast called The Wolf Connection. A very good show, look it up. You No, no prizes awarded to those that guess what it's about. Um, but it's, I learned about this conservationist and I was like, she sounds very interesting, I'd like to talk to her. And her name is Hannah Pettersson. Um, now Hannah is a special type of conservationist in my eyes because she is a social scientist conservationist which means she works with local communities to figure out the best methods to do things and where they work we see if they these methods, I say we, I've not done any of this, they see if these kind of methods can be used in other areas. Where are your strengths and how can these be worked in places where it's not doing so well? And Hannah's focus is obviously the wolf. Now the reason, as you'll hear from the show, Hannah decided to focus on the wolf is because if you can get the wolf right, you can benefit a lot of other animals or a lot of other ecosystems as well. But as you can imagine, just like you would have learned from the episodes we've done about African wildlife or Namibian wildlife, it can be quite divisive because we're talking about a predator here. Now whilst there's not, you know, it's not a common thing for wolves to have big conflicts with people in regards to people safety, there is still that fear element and that is something that's quite cultural in I would say Europe and in the UK that's something that we hold for a reason we're not sure always what the reason was and it might change from place to place but there is an element of fear with the wolf and it's how to overcome that in order to not just benefit the the wolf and the rest of the ecosystem but how to benefit local communities as well I love this chat I felt like I could relate it to other things I've learned in the last year I'm sure you're gonna love it and I think it tests us when we're talking about rewilding or wilding and why we're doing certain things, how we're doing certain things and should we be doing those certain things before visiting other areas as well. So this episode is quite simply titled Living with Wolves with Hannah Pettersson. Hannah, welcome to Into the Wild. Lovely to have you here. Are you in England now? <laughs> I am. I am actually. I've been back for like a good long week and a bit. A, a good long. A good, it always is a long week in England <laughs> yeah, as well, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> a yes. week feels like a month in this country sometimes. Well, I mean, it's been a. It's been a. The weekend was great. It was really sunny, and I think the UK showed its best face. So I, I'm quite. That's convinced. true, actually. We've really smashed autumn so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I must say that's been it's been good to be back. Lovely. Um, so before we get started, and I just ha- start having a chat, I always forget to do this. Should we start at the very beginning? Do you want to tell everyone who you are and what is it you do? Great. Sure. Um, so I am, I guess, a conservation social scientist might be a, a good way to describe me. So a social scientist that works within the realm of conservation, trying to understand how we can do it in a good way uh, with with people and uh, creating um, a good place for both humans and, and animals on this on this planet, basically. And right now I do so as a postdoc at the University of York at the Leverhulme Centre for Anthropocene Biodiversity. Quite the wow. mouthful, but uh, wow, quite yeah. the mouthful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I just started basically uh, last week, so it's uh, it's fresh and uh, new everything about it. So I'm just uh, trying to get through introductions and stuff here, but it's great. Nice. And um, before we get into our topic, let's ask you this: What you're obviously a nature fan. You obviously love wildlife and the natural world. So in the last week, in the last seven days, Hannah, what has been your nature highlight? Oh, so speaking about the the lovely weekend weather, I actually had a quite uh, 
well, a very enjoyable weekend gallivanting around Robin Hood's Bay in Ravenscar. Um, nice. Watching seals blob around and looking for less uh, vivacious <laughs> wildlife in the form of fossils. Um, so it was it was a very nice nature weekend, I must say. Right. So today, let's get on to our topic, which this was weird because I went to say in the email I sent you as well, but also just then I went to say we're talking about wolves and we kind of are talking about European wolves today or wolves generally, but we're also kind of talking them in a bit. We're not going to be touching much on the biology or the kind of behavior of a wolf. We're talking about, I guess, like you said, the social aspect with humans and and that collaboration. So first of all, why wolves? Has this always been a focus for you? Yeah, so wolves are, of course, a great vehicle to talk about other stuff Mm. because wolves are so meaningful to so many people in so many different ways. It can be... Depending on who you ask, it's it's uh, villain, vermin, icon, kin, somebody described them. And it's really true, right? Because yeah, if yeah. you will ask uh, someone over there, it will be the savior of nature. And if you ask the next person, it, it might be the cause of its decline, right? Mm. So if you're like me, interested in, in how we can govern conservation, how we can do conservation in a good way that works for as many people and, and animals and places as possible, wolves is a really good place to start because it's kind mm. of the the most difficult and thorny topic um, not, <laughs> if, you, you, know, if you get that one right <laughs> yeah um, so poor wolves they they have they symbolize so many different things they have a heavy backpack to carry right because they yeah, have yeah. to they have to be all of these things at the same time um so yeah it's it's a really good place to start basically and really difficult place to start too <laughs> but uh, i think it's it's necessary right because if we yeah. figure if we figure this out how we can kind of uh, achieve some type of management that is accepted to as many people as possible with wolves we have a really good model for other wildlife too that's awesome that's a really good like way of looking at i think a wildlife conservation as well as like if you can tick this box you're actually ticking <laughs> yeah the other boxes underneath it like it's like a title with subheadings isn't it you kind of like got it all in one chapter but um so okay that's interesting what you say about people's perceptions of wolves when i without thinking about conservation and that side of your brain if you were just going sunday morning i've just had a cup of tea and i said think of a wolf what comes to your mind i think it is this kind of symbolism right so Mm. the wolf is an animal like many others it's just minding its own business but what is so special about them is is everything that we think that they are right yeah um and um and that goes all the way back into fairy tales and mythology and Mm. also into the present days and all the hopes we have for them and for the future we want to create through them or at least for some people but otherwise, it's you know, it's a it's a very dog-like creature. It's, they can still interbreed with dogs, and they sometimes mm. do, right? So it's it's really, it's really interesting in so many ways that it has so much entanglements with both our realities and our and our imagined realities, if you will. Mm. Because I was thinking when I was writing these questions before sending them over to you, I was like, what? Because I kind of knew what kind of questions I was going to ask. I was like, what do I think of when I think of Like, if someone just said, think of a wolf, or mm. like, if, like, you know, think of it. And <laughs> I don't know how this is going to come across. I thought of, have you seen the, the, the Disney film Sword in the Stone? Yes, I have. Very long time ago. Do you remember the wolf character in that? Yeah, wait, so this was, yeah, you might have to refresh my memory because this was a so, long time ago. But I just remember just it's really some, funny and a wizard and some stuff. Yeah, it's a very like Wiley Coyote kind of, that kind of wolf. Yeah. Very skinny, very scrawny, but he's chasing 
the oh, little yeah, kid yeah, through yeah, the yeah. forest after meeting Merlin, and he's yeah. very like slapstick. But again, the wolf is there as a comical villain, you know, yeah. not the main problem. But that's like always what comes to my mind when I think of a wolf. I don't know why, because I'm very childish and I still like Disney. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can read into that what you will. But I think that, like you were saying about the the villain aspect mm. of a wolf, they were always used in that. Yeah, is that accidental? Or is that purpose? Well, if you, if you look in other cultures, I mean, how many of those hoodies with a house wolf to the moon have you seen mm. in your life quite a few i would imagine and so yeah. it, it's also the same time you know as this villain and, and comical figure it can be you know the the soul and the spirit of the wild and of yeah. macho culture and like motorcycle gangs and all the rest of it right <laughs> um so it, it's a funny one um mm. i think there there are a lot of mysterious things about the wolves especially mm. back in the day when we didn't really understand how the ecology worked uh how they could be so move so fast you know being in one place uh, and then in the next place in the next second being somewhere completely else and and the howls which travel a very far distance so they sound very close even though they're far away and why they even do that and they hunting packs just and behave sometimes a bit like us right yeah at the same time we have also tamed the wolf and made it into a dog which we use to defend ourselves against the wolf which is also you know a little bit of a mind <laughs> you think about it um, it's the ultimate oh God, kind it of poacher into protector type scenario yeah. I mean, I'm a professional dog walker, so you're talking to the right man when we're <laughs> yeah. talking about the interrelationships. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, th there's a lot of that. And, and I mean, we can really unpack a lot of the reasons for, for why this has happened. But mm. the whole villain aspect of it is, uh, and, and the fear of wolves is very reasonable, if you think of it, because we were really dependent on our livestock back in the day, and many people yeah. still are. And it could really devastate your life if you lost uh, maybe all of your sheep in one go, or also the fact that back in the day, especially, well, pretty much everywhere, really, um, they were a big threat with regards to uh, rabies, right? And rabies mm. is one of the, I think, the most lethal disease in the world. Like, it's the number one. If you get it, you die, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there were quite a few rabid wolves. And as you may know, rabies makes you very aggressive, so if you encountered one, it was likely to bite you and then you were likely to die. And that is a very scary type of death, right? So that all of these yeah. things are kind of packed into the, into the history and our mythology, but also these powerful and more kind of benign elements of, of dogs and companionship and, and spirit of the wild and all that stuff. So depending on which way you're inclined, you can just pick and choose whatever you yeah. prefer, right? There's a big spectrum of it, isn't there? There's yeah. like, <laughs> it's a real big spectrum of like attitudes towards the wolves. Um, so let me ask you this then, living with wolves in your kind of society, I guess, that topic in itself must open the floodgates around the world like even just muttering that i can picture someone saying that in a pub and mm. it turning heads in any country really but let's start with the obvious question what happened to european wolf populations why did they drop so i mean the, the, that comes back to what we were just discussing the fact that they were so dangerous for mm. for most people right so so we got rid of both wolves and most other inconvenient species in Europe, right? Inconvenient mm. also includes beavers, for example, because yeah. everything that makes our life a bit more unpredictable. So <laughs> if you leave your animals or your crops or something somewhere, you want to find them when you come back the next morning. 
And uh, especially in the UK and places like the Netherlands, we removed all of those inconvenient, unpredictable elements, right? <laughs> and now we're in a, in a process where we're trying to reverse that in some cases. And that is not a process that is free from friction, if you will, <laughs> because it will be more inconvenient and more unpredictable. Yeah. But yeah, so it makes a lot of sense why, why we remove them. But it also, of course, we are now coming to terms with all the negative effects of that. Uh, mm. The biodiversity crisis and so many other things that are resulting from from the lack of biodiversity or, or the loss of biodiversity, mm. right? Um, but wolves, yeah, they were they were the number one bad guy, right? For right. for a lot of a lot of farming cultures, and Europe was pretty much covered in in farming all over the mm. place and, and livestock. And uh, the governments used to subsidize people to. To get rid of the wolves, right? You would get paid oh, wow. by presenting a, a wolf tail or a scalp or something else. And there Jesus, were people. No wonder it happened. <laughs> yeah, there were, there were people employed to get rid of carnivores, basically, and other inconvenient animals. Until very recently, in some some countries. So I work in Spain, for example, and there were people there who have lived through being paid for killing wolves to now mm. getting fined for doing the same thing. Which is a very rapid turnaround, if you think about it. So that's still in their lifetime. That's yeah, happened. yeah. That's mad. So that kind of illustrates to to you the change of values and the change of way to think about these things, and that's a very very drastic change because yeah. it has a massive impact, you know, from one <laughs> to the other. Um, so it's we're moving very fast in in this time you know, realm. And uh, it's useful to sometimes uh, sit down and have a think about it and, and see how it uh, influences different people and their, their livelihoods and, and mm. what we can do to support that process to be a bit easier in many locations, right? So that's what my work is about. Uh, yeah, that's mad, though, that someone in a lifetime can go from being rewarded for one thing and then find for the same thing. Like, I guess, that's, I mean, there's probably loads of examples in society and history that that has been the case as well. But I mean, specifically for one, like one animal, that's that's kind of mad. And that's that's a mindset that in my view, and you're probably, you know, I'm speaking ignorantly here, that must be almost feels like impossible to change. Yeah, and I, there, there are many reasons that you can say in favor of both of these approaches, right? Because it, yeah, it yeah. depends on, what type of feature of nature it is that you want to conserve, what type of, you know, practice or livelihood and, and so many different things. So again, this whole research field or management field of, of carnivore conservation is, is the, the promised land of cherry picking because you can really, <laughs> you can really uh, choose what, what you want to focus on and, uh, and also the information and science according to that. And that makes it a very thorny field, right? But But we have to... I think my my main role as a as a social scientist and as a researcher here is is just to say that we have to be a bit pragmatic and empathetic to each other because this is multi-use landscapes meaning that they need to work for many different people for many different functions producing food and biodiversity and and recreation and so many other things and and we are have to kind of try to fit all these things in at the same time. And it's bloody difficult, especially <laughs> with these um, inconvenient, if you will, animals yeah. that, that tend to, you know, pop up where they want to and, and mm. snag a few things where they get tempted. So, mm. yeah. And the fear of, I, I, I asked this question purely because, and obviously I, I, I don't expect you to know solidly the 
global answer to this, but the fear of the wolf throughout recent history, do you think it's a valid fear? Do you think it's overhyped? Or do you think it kind of depends on where you are kind of thing? It definitely does depend on where you are. But I also want to say that the fear of the wolf is not so much the fear of the animal itself. It's the fear of an imposition of a whole way of thinking about nature, right? Right. Because a very important thing to keep in mind when you talk about wolves and the return of wolves or, or, or so on is, is the fact that the, the support for wolves tend to increase within the nearest distance from the wolf habitat, meaning mm. that very like the vast majority of people who are in favor of wolves are not the people who live with them. And that is in that general, <laughs> the, the conservation of large carnivores is imposed yep. on very few people. And that tends to be the most marginalized people. Right. Yeah. So often, you know, the best types of agriculture and farming we can think about, which is the free roaming, small groups of sheep on really biodiverse pastures in marginal mountainous areas. Those are the ones that are the most impacted by large carnivores. Yeah. Right. Right. Which is unfortunate because, you know, for many, many different reasons. So when we talk about fear of the wolf, is is the fear of, of a whole lifestyle, livelihood, practice and culture becoming extinct mm. because of the imposition, that is often how people feel, about priorities from elsewhere. Right. right? Often urban priorities or mm. even European priorities in a, in a country that feels that they have, you know, for people they have, that feel they have very little to do with what is going on in Brussels. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is a very legitimate fear because the conservation movement is a big and powerful movement mm -hmm. and it is difficult to make conservation policy that is sensitive to the local context, right? Yeah, right. Um, and so far, we haven't been very good at it. <laughs> we haven't been very good at, at kind of looking at the how, how people need to be supported on the ground before things happen, yeah. right? So right yes. now, it's like, we should protect wolves. Okay, great. Let's protect wolves. And then they all of a sudden turn up everywhere, right? Oh, sh <laughs> now there are wolves here and they're eating all the sheep. Didn't plan for that. Yeah, quite a lot of them, actually. Uh, oh, maybe we should uh, do something about it now that there's all this conflict. Instead yeah. of trying to be a bit more proactive about it and, and mm. really... Because this is about vulnerability, really. Um, right. If you have a, a population somewhere that is, that is vulnerable because of market conditions and because of climate change or all these other different factors... It is um, somewhat unfair, one could argue, to expect that they also should carry the burden of conservation. That is a, something that other people has decided, right? Yeah. And that is not to say that we shouldn't conserve wolves or that they shouldn't come back, but we just need to become a little bit better at redistributing these benefits and burdens, mm. if you will. Um, and that is, that is the work we have to do now. Um, because if we don't do this properly and if we don't kind of listen to those people and their concerns we're just never going to be very successful at it yeah you're fighting an uphill battle with yeah. rocks falling down on you <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah if people so. don't want it then i mean you <laughs> it from the get-go haven't you yeah yeah and i mean it's not that i think it's going to be very hard to make people want something so this whole idea of you know changing yeah. people's values and stuff that might be mm -hmm. very hard but we we could start by by focusing on the places where it works quite well and mm -hmm. trying to amplify that rather than trying to shove it down the throats of people that, you know, are at the far end on the other side. 
Yeah. So there, my work is a lot about coexistence and the conditions of it. Why does mm. it work in some places where it, when it doesn't in others? And there's so much potential to work from those positive examples and making sure that their life and their livelihoods are, that they're doing great, basically. Because if there are people who are living with wolves and who are doing great and who are perhaps even benefited or that are benefiting from it in some way because they have some extra support or because mm. people recognize it, it will be much easier to convince others that it is possible to live with wolves without absolutely trashing your local livelihood, right? Yeah, seeing is believing, right? You yeah. can see it happening and then you're like, well, now I believe it more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And yeah. uh, again, it comes comes to redistributing um, mm. costs and burdens, right? Because it is it is difficult and challenging. I mean, I I come from a farming background, and I mean, I, my my dad, who is a farmer, is the first to admit that it would be very inconvenient if the wolf came back and loitered around. Is that the word he uses? Does he say inconvenient? <laughs> Well, I mean, or does he say I it in a different way? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't describe him as, the, you know, very kind of, you know, the one on the barricades waving an anti-wolf sign. And also it's somewhat, <laughs> somewhat different in Sweden because we have so much forest that the wolves are kind right. of less noticeable. And most of the livestock is also fenced. So so it's different, but we still have lots of problems. But but yeah, it's it's, again, we have to recognize that living with large mammals, most of them, uh, mm. Can be can be a bit challenging yeah. in many different ways. Well, people don't like a rat in their house. No, <laughs> let, let alone a pack of wolves yeah. <laughs> nearby. <laughs> and I mean, an interesting thing is in Europe, uh, the wild boars—they are spreading everywhere, right? Mm. And I, I heard news uh, some months ago that Shakira had been chased around. Barcelona or Rome, I can't remember which. By, you know, oh, yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and there's and, so many jokes in there. Yeah, and I mean, it's pretty great uh, as a, just a comparison. And I think if you did a poll and asked urban people about boar, they would be, you know, there would be quite a few people who are not so favorable towards boar anymore because they are literally in their garden ripping up their yeah. potatoes and, and chasing their kids as they're playing outside. And uh, I think that will happen... <laughs> Increasingly, as wildlife come back, which is great, and that's the direction of travel we need to be moving towards, right? But yeah. as rewilding or restoration or whatever you want to call it is, is becoming more and more successful, which is the mm. European policy now, we will have to deal with increasing amounts of, of you know, <laughs> complaints and, and slight inconveniences of, of oh, all these God. wild species. Hannah, I live in Highgate in North London, and I tell you now, <laughs> If wild boar get running around here, you'll have the most affluent, angry people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear that complaint because their child Clarence got chased down the high street. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've encountered a wild boar, but they are quite intimidating animals. I've, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen a warthog up close and that was pretty intense yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 i would rather meet a, a wolf actually than a than a would wild you? boar mama with uh, with her you know piglets in tow. that's interesting yeah it's just yeah the wolf would most likely turn around and, and go um, the other direction off. and i mean yeah. probably the boar would be but many of them are quite habituated nowadays wild boar just doesn't sound poetic enough to want to approach either does it <laughs> like <laughs> It's not got. It's not like emperor butterfly where you're like, oh, let's go over there. Wild boar sounds like you need to keep your distance. Yeah, but they are very cute when they're small, and then incredibly ugly when they're big. Uh, it's funny that way. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that's that's the problem. That yeah. is the problem. They're cute when they're small. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about like the impacts on an ecosystem in regards to biodiversity with wolves. Because you said they're like kind of that species. If we get this right, automatically it might help other species, but also we can use this uh, to help other species. So what are the impacts on an ecosystem when wolves are kind of removed from an area? Yeah, and that is a very interesting question. And I think it's important to point out that there's a lot of wishful thinking when you talk about mm. wolves and ecosystems, right? Because we have right. all heard this beautiful story about <laughs> wolves in Yellowstone and how they yeah. changed the rivers and all of that. But it turns out when you start scratching that surface that that theory is, is actually up for debate now. And it's increasingly mm. criticized because it turned out that there were all these other elements that also influenced how the right. ecosystem changed. Okay. So there were also bears around and like, uh, yeah, other different uh, biophysical factors that influenced. So... Wolves definitely impact the ecosystem. They regulate the ungulates. We know all of those things, but but especially if a system is humanized, that is, they, for thousands and thousands of years, people and livestock have been around. It's it's way more kind of yeah unclear how they mm -hmm. influence the ecosystem. So so this idea that wolves will come back, they will only eat the wild animals and regulate <laughs> all the deer and and not eat the sheep unless you know. Some mix, that that's just not true. So we actually don't know very much uh, or very, you know, mm. well how they are going to influence the European ecosystems, for example. Because again, there are so many people and livestock everywhere, and dogs and other tasty things that yeah, they eat, yeah. like trash, and you know, and that somewhat limits or at least influences their if you will, ability to regulate other things. But that is not, I mean, they definitely have a role to fill. They they eat sick animals and they, they definitely uh, change the behavior of these animals. But they change the behavior of so many things at the same time. They also change the behavior of people and of mm -hmm. livestock. And for example, they influence the ecosystem in a way that is maybe less expected because uh, these free-roaming Sheep and shepherds are not able to use the upland grazing areas, for example, like they used to be able to. And right. that means that they, um, those grasslands aren't maintained open anymore. And there's shrub growing there instead. And that shrub is very flammable. So there are more risks from wildfires and stuff like that. And the wolf is wow. not the only driver of this. There's other factors too. But it's just a long story to say that wolves can influence ecosystems in, in many ways, uh, both positive and negative that we can think of and it will be very context dependent um which is yes you know, yeah that's what the all thing, the social it? scientists said all the time <laughs> <laughs> it's really true it depends yeah <laughs> it is complicated that someone there's, there needs to be a scientist a con conservation scientist someone that writes a book called it depends yes <laughs> yeah I, I mean i've been teased uh by friends who say they will buy me a t-shirt that says it's all gray <laughs> you know like there's no black and white um but yeah it's it's cool because there's there's so much, so much to unpack here. So many things we mm -hmm. need to find out and that we need to study, right? And also the fact that wolves will possibly not behave the way we expect them to. Because, because for example, what happens if we stop being mean to the wolves, right? If we stop chasing them, if we stop shooting them, if we stop, you know, yeah, just in general, trying to get rid of them. Will they change their behavior? Will they approach people more? Possibly. Um, and, and that's the concern for, for many types of wildlife. Uh, what happens when we stop giving them a hard time? 
That's a very interesting thought. I had never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I definitely, this is not to say that we should, you know, keep, you know, keep, uh, keep shooting, shooting all of them. <laughs> but there is, it is, uh, there is no answer to this yet of, of how, but there's a lot of reports about bold wolves, right? Wolves that come into cities and that, that behave in ways that they didn't used to. And this could be just interpretations, but there mm-hmm. might also be something in there. I mean, if you think about how you habituate animals, it's first of all by, by being trying to be, well, not, not mean to them. And, not and that's yeah. the first step. <laughs> and then what happens afterwards, they might come a bit closer because there's some tasty things around. Yeah. And yeah, so that's a very interesting field of research that I really think we should dedicate some more time and effort to. Mm. So, I mean, there in, in Europe, for example, there's so much uh, depopulation now, so many areas that are being abandoned. So in theory, you might think, oh, great, all this wildlife can now come back and hang out in those wild areas where there are not so many people. But actually what might happen in many, in many cases is that this wildlife that supposedly should hang out there are actually coming into the human areas because there's way more food there. It's way more food, yeah. Yeah, and then all the predators will come after those boar and deer and whatever it is that, that are seeking. So maybe everyone actually will end up in the same place anyway. Right? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just, you know, exaggerating a bit here. But there, there's yeah. something there. Um, and I think it's something that we need to be aware of um, as, as we are trying to promote restoration and rewilding and that, yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of uh, interactions <laughs> going that's on. A, that's a very diplomatic way to put yeah. it. <laughs> very things so. will interact, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, sorry to interrupt the episode, Nature Nerds. It's Ryan, your host here. I just want to give you a quick shout out about something. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show accessible for everyone. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support Into the Wild and say thanks, then you can do so by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash into the wild pod. The link is in the write-up of this episode. By doing this and buying us a coffee, you are helping the future of Into the Wild. Thanks very much and back onto the show. But we, I, surely we can like also, again, this is theorizing and maybe assumptions, but we can also look at this based on other predators around the world, right? Mm. That live in areas and we know it's, it's certainly not uncommon for large older predators to encroach more on community areas, urban areas for easy prey and stuff like that. And we can also safely assume, like you said, if, you know, if the prey is moving more into, I mean, this happens, this actually happens with other species. So we, it's not that out there to assume that this could or would happen with an animal like the wolf, right? Yeah. And I observed it in first person, actually. I was in this tiny little village in Spain and I've been spending so many mornings trying to uh, see wolves through binoculars. Uh, Mm. But one day the local village baker called us and said, hi, I have a wolf in my chicken coop. Do you want to see it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's kind of funny. But yeah, so we, we, uh, we walked along to this chicken coop and there was a wolf in the chicken coop and it it had scabies. So it was a bit sick and weak, Right. right? So it came for for a chicken because it's mm. literally fast food. It's the McNuggets yeah, of the wolf. Yeah. Same order. reason why we do, we do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so there was a whole kind of thing going on there, and it escaped during the night, and it was a big hubbub. But but yeah, it's kind of a typical thing that happens in an area where there are a lot of wolves, right? It happens in Sweden a few times a year that there are news about a wolf that comes in to an area. Not only wolves, by the way, like some 
moves will encroach on somebody's orchard and eat lots of apples that are, you know, <laughs> half rotten and become a bit drunk and start wreaking havoc. Of, you know, like we should be celebrating that moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty great. But but yeah, so so it's it's very likely that we will get increasing amounts of that. And if you just like you were saying, if you look at other countries, for example, in in the US and Canada, where black bears come in and, and yeah. cheekily rob people of their ice cream and stuff in, in their in their freezers. And uh and so terrifying. <laughs> yeah. No, but they there are literally reports of, of black bears coming in, like very neatly taking out the window, walking in, picking out a, a packet of ice cream and leaving the house. You know, like they are, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily saying that that will happen with, with yeah. wolves or our bears because, you know, but, um, and in, in African countries where, you know, they live mm. with, with all kinds of different types of, you know, <laughs> problematic wildlife, if you will, yeah. uh, that it's, uh, yeah, one can understand why somebody had the idea of, wouldn't it be nice to separate people from wildlife? <laughs> you know, yeah, wouldn't yeah. that be somewhat less? <laughs>
right? And that was an interesting approach because that that gave me a little bit of a sense of 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 the whole spectrum of wolf presence, if you will. Yeah. And uh, in the area where wolves have always been around, people were like, you know, the the, the baker with the wolf in the, his chicken coop. He was like, well, eh, you know, <laughs> just shrugged his shoulders. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas in that area, they had reintroduced red deer. And now it was really annoying for them because they ate all the crops and they, you know, got, got in front of the cars and created lots of accidents. And they hadn't been there. And it was somebody else who reintroduced them all of a sudden. So that was annoying. And I think that is just to say that whenever we bring species back that weren't there, it's always more problematic than if they were always around, right? Because people get used to things and and adapt to things and and that is very helpful, but it's difficult to back engineer. So, I mean, the concerns are very similar in that, you know, wolves will eat sheep and they will eat, well, not even eat many of them, but they might kill many of them in one go. And it's a rather horrific thing to to experience uh, because it's yeah your your beloved animals might be in quite a state to put it mildly when you find them so it's it's very understandable and uh, i mean in sweden for example our biggest problem is is hunting dogs that get you know somebody's really beloved pet and partner will be attacked and killed by by a wolf as as they're out hunting that would be horrible like like i said i've got my dog it would be horrible yeah yeah and it's horrible for the dog and it's you know it's horrible for the people too so again empathy is extremely important here because Mm. it's not easy and we we won't be able to prevent that that animals and pets get killed Uh, just Mm. like you know african in african countries there are lions and other animals killing killing livestock and even people sometimes which is you know extremely horrible to think about and I'm not saying that wolves will start killing people. It's very unlikely because yeah. it just hasn't, you know, it hasn't happened for hundreds of years in most locations. But but yeah, I mean, the, these are things that we have to to consider, and and those issues remain the same. Again, like these large mammals are are dangerous. Also, the moose and the horses, and I mean, yeah. dogs kill people too every year. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a dog that has a flip and and you know kills its owner or something. Yeah. That happens too. There are risks, right? Yeah, there's uh, always risks. <laughs> yeah, there's always risks. So again, it's easier to live in a in a city where you're far away from all the wildlife than not impacted by it, right? It's safer, yeah. but but yeah. but having them around you is great and cool and important and so many other things. But but yeah, there there are risks. Where do you find the best place to start for tackling these? issues like when you like so you said you went to like different areas that had different experiences with wolves or different levels of experience with mm-hmm. wolves how do we tackle the issues in this country or this region mm. with getting the wolves back like where would you start with all that again like there are we in europe uh, we could begin by saying that we in europe have so much to learn from other countries who live mm. with these big scary animals right yeah i mean the the legacy of conservation is is uh, pretty problematic sometimes but often it's european or north american people who go to other countries and tell them how to how they should treat their wildlife but actually maybe we should have african countries or african representatives coming over here and teaching us us how to live with you know um so i could not agree more with that yeah so that that's the first thing um and um 
but yeah, working working with the local people and see what the needs are because the, just like we have to adapt to climate change and all these other things, right? We have to adapt, right? We have to learn mm. how to adapt and how can we find and promote those adaptive capacities. And I think learning from each other will be extremely important. So again, rather than focusing on conflict all the time and the, you know, where people want to reintroduce them, whereas other people in that area don't want them there. Let's start by finding the places where it works a little bit better and trying to see first what we can learn from it and how we can amplify it. I think that's a great way to start, making sure that those, those people there are really recognized and celebrated and, and then see what we can do to kind of spread that positive. So starting, starting where conditions are favorable and, and working our way outwards if you will yeah 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 starting the most successful and go right we'll, we'll wait until we get to the edge yeah, yeah <laughs> hopefully exactly. we would have figured it out by then <laughs> so uh, so rather than beginning where where the conditions are not so favorable and say like let's bring back wolves here and then we'll figure it out <laughs> maybe maybe not start in that direction like maybe you know um yeah let's make it easy for ourselves if possible then the, you know it's important to say that wolves did it's not like you have to bring them back a lot of the time unless it's an island. They tend to walk back by themselves and not yeah. be very selective about where we welcome them or not. But, but you know, um, the best approach remains to kind of try to, to really incentivize where it works and then try to work with the local communities where they are coming back and, and be a bit proactive about it. I think that's a good point you made there as well, is, is to not, I, I mean, I would imagine is just to not to assume that we can control it. Yeah. Like, I think we, there's such a, human thing isn't it like like you said it's the, the old method of conservation mm. really that they're still present today but of the fact that we, we can control this mm. and, and we can make sure there are that we can mitigate all risks it's like you, i i mean you, you know okay this is my show so i can say what i want but i, I just don't agree with that because there is <laughs> like like you said if if we don't want fences everywhere, mm. then things will move around. Yeah. And then you do not have control over where those things go. So you don't know what the risks are going to be. You don't know what people are going to do and how they're going to react. And, you know, they could, they could react perfectly and you might not have to intervene for 50, 60 years. Or the first year we've had a load of poached wolves or poached boar and it's like this has not gone well. So there's, there's so many things. I think having that, just remembering going, we can manage it in a sense of we can make it happen but we can't control the impacts or the, the whatever the consequences whatever label it has yeah. i think that's something to really hold on to yeah and i mean we wolves in particular they can walk so far and so fast so we mm -hmm. had in sweden we have a problem with inbreeding and wolves because they they were extinct and then they came back some some sneaky ones walked back from finland and it was only about three of them i think that kind of founded our whole population which is today about 400 so every time there's been another wolf coming in with new DNA, we've been very happy about it. So yeah. <laughs> one female came in uh, some years ago and we desperately tried to make sure that it could breed with the other wolves, but it settled in an area where there's a lot of reindeer and where it was very inconvenient to have a wolf. So they translocated it, I think about three times, like hundreds and hundreds of miles to another oh area. God. Every time it walked back, every time. <laughs> You know, so that to say that we, oh, but it's fine. We can just, you know, put them in an area where there's a lot of yummy things and expect them to stay there. No, they, they won't. They have their own agenda. <laughs> no, they want the reindeer, mate. <laughs> I think it's also important in relation to this to think about how would it be for the wolf to get reintroduced in this area? 
Mm. Like how much of an independent life will they be able to have? Because it's not particularly nice to be sedated and collared and mm, monitored yeah. and, you know, shot at or stared at or right, just, yeah. right? Because I guess you will come eventually to, should we bring back wolves to the UK? Well, I mean, I'm sure there are some areas in the UK where they can live somewhat independent life but in most areas they like they would have to be extremely controlled and how wild will they actually be mm. because it's an island and uh, eventually yeah. as i mentioned they they increase quite rapidly and very soon they will end up going out of their bounds right going into areas where there are more sheep and more people and it will be quite hectic to be a wolf there and not so so nice, I think. <laughs> uh, at least, you know, the way things are right now, it might not be the best thing to start with in regard, with regards to restoration and rewilding, right? Well, I don't know. Maybe that's something one can ask oneself. Like, would yeah. I like to be a wolf in the UK? I don't you think don't I would want... like to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm struggling with being a person in the UK in recent <laughs> yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I just, it just feels like you don't want to make the, a wolf's life hectic. No. I just feel like that's something you don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah. if that simplified everything. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we should all, we can all aspire and work towards, I mean, it would be really cool if in, you know, I don't yeah, know I mean, how yeah, many hundred course, years yeah. we could say that. We have now come so far with governance and conservation practice and all these other things that we yeah. can now actually share space with these animals. We know how to do it. We know how to support the people. And that's great. So that's something to aspire to. But let's, you know, take it step by step. Yeah. And I've, I've got to say, like, where in Europe do you see the most... I guess it, I always get to ask this question and then in my head I go, it changes everywhere. But I, <laughs> but where do we see the most success with the wolf populations and coming back? Yeah, so, I mean, Spain is actually a great example in, in mm. some ways, not so much in, in others. I mean, the, it's very polarised in Spain, whether, you know, you're in favour or against it. And then it comes back to the whole political thing, um, mostly about what type of nature we should promote and so on. But But aside from that, I mean, they were almost extinct in Spain and now... We don't know exactly because there's no, there's not a lot of snow in Spain, so it's difficult to track the wolves. But there's some somewhere between two and three thousand wolves in Spain. Oh, Most wow. people don't know that, but there's a lot of them, and they're doing they're doing quite well. And there are also wolves coming in, sneaky wolves coming in from <laughs> France, and they might actually start interbreeding with these Iberian wolves that are over wow. there. There's debate whether you know it's a separate subspecies or not. You know the taxonomists are fighting about it that's, as, that's as always. always. <laughs> yeah. They're always arguing yeah. with each other. Uh, but it's very likely that there sooner or later they will connect with the mm. Italian and French populations. And, and in general, wolves are doing great in all of Europe. They're back in Belgium, in Denmark, you know, in Sweden. Pretty much all of mainland Europe now has wolves. Right, it used wow. to be the most widely distributed mammal on Earth. And they can once again be if we just let them, if we don't shoot all of them, pretty much. Yeah. And there is... From a kind of large-scale perspective, Europe is proving that coexistence is possible, you could say, right? Because mm. wolves are increasing and, mm. and yeah, they're doing quite well and, and there are people who are living with them. If you zoom in, it's, it, the picture is a bit more complicated, right? And there's a lot of right. conflict and stuff, but there are, there are positive examples and there are things that we could really promote and work on. There are more wolves... I think in Europe now than there are in North America. Well, that's as far amazing. As I know. Yeah, it's great. So we we 
the important thing maybe is also to get away from this panic that all wolves are in danger, that we, you know, we should do our darndest to to not bend a hair on a single one. Uh, because they they are doing well, so we can kind of get over that super panic, right? Yeah, get like, over the other yeah, fear as well. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> because their fear on both sides, and and, and mm. on both sides is maybe not, you know, it's a bit exaggerated on both sides. It's not mm. like wolves will like havoc with everything, and it's also not that we will lose wolves if, if yeah. There's not only something. two left as well. No, no, definitely <laughs> not. And it's actually, I mean, it's wonderful to be working in conservation and, and to be able to say that things are going well uh, for yeah. for large carnivores in Europe in, gen- in general. Like bears are increasing, lynx are increasing, wolverines are also doing well. And wow. that is wonderful. And that means that we are doing some things right. And now we just need to make sure that, again, the benefits and burdens of this are are somewhat equally, dist- or, you know, not too, there's not too much inequality in how we are distributing this. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I've got a, the penultimate question I have to ask, and you, and you hinted that I might, <laughs> was, was England or yeah. the UK. Yeah. Wolves back, what do you reckon? Again, like in a, in a, on a really long-term perspective, I don't, I don't think that it should be impossible. But let's start, uh, let's start somewhere else, I think. For example, there's a lot of debates about uh, yeah. other, other types of species being introduced and maybe you know, a little bit earlier than the wolf would be the lynx, for example, because it's mm. a very shy species. It, it usually is forest dwelling. You, you, you're unlikely to notice it. They tend to not attack sheep as much as, as wolves right. are, for example, and not take as many. So, so that could be, you know, a, a better first step. But even before that, there might be other species that we might want to focus on. And also, I mean, there's so much wildlife and there are so many ways that nature could look and work like and how it can function so mm. i mean there's there's so much so many ways to improve conditions for biodiversity we, we don't need to start in the in the far end we just need to work our way towards that direction my last question for you is if you could recommend or advise anyone on the planet on something to do to connect or enjoy nature what would you say i think it comes back to that like how can you uh, contribute in your small way to to increasing biodiversity wherever you are, and that may be mm. you know to to have a no mow what do you call that no mow vember no <laughs> <laughs> when you don't cut your mustache, you could do the same oh, with your I'm lawn. Sorry, I thought you were going to talk about no mow may with your lawn in the garden. Yeah, exactly. Something like that, you know, like dedicate some attention to changes in nature, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't mow your, no mow may, it's actually what I was looking for. If you don't mow your lawn, like see what happens because nature is is very unstatic <laughs> as we have been talking about this this whole time, right? And it changes all the time. It will, it will just keep changing. And it's, once you start noticing those small changes, it's actually really, really cool to see what, what comes back and and you know what what travels away and um, it's it's a changing time that we're living through and there will be a lot of change so if you're a little bit attuned to what is going on it's quite fascinating really yeah i totally agree yeah completely right and, and definitely i'm yeah no mo mate i'm just gonna say that definitely yeah. everyone do no mo mate <laughs> and yeah. stretch it through to august for god's sake just yeah, do it absolutely <laughs> um hannah thank you so much for being on the show it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and learn more about living with wolves so thank you so much for being on into the wild my pleasure thank you so much for having me Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the guests that have appeared in today's Into the Wild episode, then you can do so on social media. Their tags are in the write-up of this episode. 
Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, however running it is not free. If you'd like to support us and say thanks, then you can do so by buying me a coffee. Our Ko-fi link is in the write-up of this episode. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.